see you. Brand new year. First Sunday of the new year. We're glad that you're here today. And I want to invite you to be here next week too. Next week is our first annual Baby Recognition Day. It's going to be a special day, special Sunday. And uh, we haven't done it in a long time, so we're adding, kind of going to try to recognize all of our babies three years and younger. Uh, talk about how special they are to our family, how special children are to the heart of God. If you're a parent and you've got a child that fits that age group, three and under, be sure that you pick up a form that's right outside the door here, right to the left as you walk out. Just a couple short questions there. Fill it out today. <laughs> Put it back in that basket that's right there. Today's kind of the deadline for that, but uh, it's going to be a special week, a special Sunday. We're glad that uh, you're here today, though, because today's a special day as well. I want to welcome you to the first Sunday of 2016. I mentioned last week that as you get to the end of the year, it's sort of natural to turn and look backwards and reminisce a little bit. When we get to the beginning of a new year, it's sort of natural to look forward and to dream and to plan and uh, um, think about what's ahead. It's a time of year when most people, at least most older people, think about at least making resolutions, something in their life that they want to change, to do differently, to do better. I found the top five New Year's resolutions from last year. And I suspect that they're probably about the same as the people, uh, resolutions that people are making this year. But let me share with you the top five New Year's resolutions for last year. And I'll go ahead and tell you up front, I got this off the internet. So I don't know what kind of, um, you know, if it's true, it's got to be true, right? I don't know what kind of uh, research was done on this, probably none, but uh, probably some guy in his basement. But it, it makes sense. Here's in, in order. Number, number one, spend more time with friends and family. We all want to do that, right? Number two, get fit, lose weight. Most of us want to do that. Number three, stop smoking. Number four, get out of debt. Number five, enjoy life more. Which, if you could get a handle on the first four, it seems like number five would sort of fall in place. But we all have things that we would like to do differently, that we would like to do better. Now, most times it's just older people that are making New Year's resolutions, it's, you know, parents and grandparents. We've got a lot of younger people here at Bay Area. You don't think a whole lot about the future. But I also found some uh, New Year's resolutions for those of you who are growing up in the digital generation. Here's some resolutions for you. Again, from the internet, so take it for what it's worth. Um, number one, change all of my passwords to username and all of my usernames to password so people can't get my information. Number two, stop ignoring spell check. I'm all over that one, by the way. That's a, that's a great one. Number three, Break my addiction to the like button and actually say something to someone. It's a great resolution. By the way, five billion people like that resolution. Number four, watch more kitten videos on YouTube. And number five, stop procrastinating, starting tomorrow. So, you know, we all have things that we would like to do differently. And maybe things that we would like to do to be better at. I don't know how... 
how well you keep or even make New Year's resolutions. But again, the beginning of the year is when we sort of at least think about those kinds of things. You know, we, we start kind of trying to plan and dream and focus. And of course, what you focus on this year might not be what I focus on. And what's really important to you might not be that important to me because we've all got our own agendas and we've all got our own lives that we're living. A while back, I received an email. The subject of the inbox was hundreds gather to protest global warming. And I thought to myself, do I even want to open that? Because to be honest, I, I'm, not, I'm not real concerned about global warming. If you are, great. You know, I'm glad some people are. I, I suppose it's important. I just, I don't stay up at night worrying about global warming. And as I read that subject line, I wondered, you know, do I even want to hear one more person kind of beating that drum about global warming? But I went ahead and opened it. It contained a picture. Here's the picture of the hundreds who gathered to protest global warming. Now, obviously, global warming is a bigger deal to some people than to others, and I guess it's you know a bigger deal to snowmen than it is to me. But here's the thing, you know, lame joke aside, we all have something that's important to us. We've all got something that we care deeply about, something that we deem worthy of our time and our effort and our attention and our money. So this morning, what are you focused on? You know, what's, what's important to you? What do you, what do you think about? Whether we use the word resolution or commitment or pledge or, or promise or focus, we all have something that's important to us, something we'd like to, to do better. That's why all those New Year's resolutions year to year are pretty much the same. We want to spend more time with family. We want to be healthier. We, we, want, to, we want to be better. And knowing what to do isn't really the problem. We know what we want to do. In fact, knowing how to do it isn't really the problem either. I know how to lose weight, burn more calories than I consume. I know how to do that, but it's hard. It's tough. I, I know how to you know, be more fiscally responsible. Put money aside, save it, but it's hard to do. If it were easy, everyone would do it. The problem isn't knowing what to do or even how to do it. The problem is focus. We get distracted. And by the way, I am the world's worst at this. Not too long ago, Martha said, would you go out to the garage and get a pan that I took out there for some reason? I need to use it, so sure, I'll go out and get your pan. 20 minutes later, Martha comes out to the garage. I'm sitting on a stool looking at pictures. She said, where's my pan? I said, well, the pan was on the mower, but I saw that the mower had a flat tire, so I was going to pump it up first. She looked at the flat tire on the mower and said, so why didn't you pump up the tire? Well, because the belt on my compressor was almost frayed. You know how, how bad it is. And I, I got a new belt for the compressor, so I thought I'll put a belt on the compressor before I pump up the tire. She looked at the compressor belt, and it's all frayed. She goes, well, why didn't you put the new belt on? Well, because the new belt was down in the cabinet. And I opened up the cabinet, and there were those lights that we had on the back porch that should go in the closet there. So I had to go clean out a spot in the closet to put the, the lights. She looked and said, well, so why didn't you put the lights up? Because I got into the closet, and I found this shoebox full of pictures. 
here's your pan. We get distracted. We lose focus. We start majoring on minors. We start paying attention to all the things that are urgent. We kind of ignore the things that are important. We just, we just lose our focus. Think about this. Jesus never lost focus. Jesus was, was just inundated with distractions all the time. There were people interrupting him constantly. People with their own agenda. But Jesus never lost focus on why he was here and what his mission was. Friend and foe alike were always interrupting Jesus, trying to get him to do something. But Jesus never lost focus. So this morning, this very first Sunday of a brand new year, let me ask you a question. What's your focus? What's your plan? And we make all kinds of plans, don't we? We make plans regarding our you know, business ventures. We're going to get some more training. We're going to you know, get into the office a little earlier, stay a little late. We make plans concerning our family issues. We're going to set aside a date night for our spouse. We're going to try to eat more dinners together. We have plans for our fitness. You know, we're going to, we're going to eat better. We're going to join a gym. What's your spiritual plan? Where's your spiritual focus? Could you even verbalize it if you were asked to? What your, what your plan is? What's your purpose for being here? It's a brand new year. So let's start at the very beginning. Let me just ask you a really simple question. Why am I here? Why are you here? And I guess if we were being really honest with each other, we might come up with a lot of reasons why we're here this morning. Well, it's a brand new year, and I made a resolution to go to church more often. Maybe you're here because, well, it's Sunday, and this is where I always am on Sunday. Maybe you're here for the singing. Maybe you're here because you want to keep an eye on everybody else. You want to make sure things are done right. Maybe you're here for the children's programs. Maybe you're here for the youth ministry. Why are you here this morning? Let me share with you a couple reasons why I'm here. And I, I brushed up against this last week, but this morning I, I want to go back and, and spend a little bit more time here. I'm here for one reason, because I love the church. I love the Lord's church. I don't use the word precious very often, but the Lord's church is precious to me. I cherish the church. There was a book that came out a couple of years ago, got quite a bit of buzz in Christian circles. The title of the book was Love Jesus, Hate Church. And the subtitle was how to survive in church or die trying. And I never did read the book, I'll have to admit, but I read about what a lot of people said about the book. And the author's premise, probably accurately so, is that there is a large segment of our society who really do love Jesus, but for some reasons there is a distrust or even a disgust with the church. A few months ago, I'm driving uh, around town and I see a billboard advertising a church and it said, the church for people who hate church. And I thought, how sad. And I understand what they're trying to say and I appreciate the sentiment, but, but I thought to myself, how sad. I, I love the church. I, I love the church. Let me tell you why I love the church. A couple reasons. 
I love the church because I love the people in the church. Hey, the church isn't a place, it is the people. I know that. That's what I'm talking about. I love the friendships, I love the relationships. I love the fact that you accept me and that we accept each other. I love the fact that we have a place where we fit, a place where we belong. How to survive the church? I couldn't survive without the church. I love the church because of her influence. You know, Jesus told disciples that you're going to be the salt of the earth. Have you ever gotten up from a big meal and said, wow, that was good salt? No. You get up and you say, wow, those were good mashed potatoes. With maybe not even realizing that the salt had a tremendous influence on the mashed potatoes. Jesus said, we're supposed to have an influence on the world around us. I love the church because of her influence on the world. But let me tell you the main reason why I love the church. I love the church because, because I love her founder. Remember back in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he asked them, what's, what's the word on the street? What are people saying about me? And the disciples' answer was, man, it's all over the board. Now they're saying all kinds of things about you. Some people are saying you're Elijah. More saying you're Jeremiah, one of the other prophets. And Jesus says, well, what do you say about me? And we don't know if there's an awkward silence. We don't know if the you know, disciples all kind of look down at their sandals. But we do know that Peter spoke up and said, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. And Jesus' response to Peter was, that's a good answer. And Jesus' response is, upon this rock, upon this fact, upon this truth, that I am the Son of God, I'm going to build my church. And hell won't stop it. I love the church because it's founded on the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. It was purchased with the blood of Jesus. In the book of Ephesians, Paul makes this really great comparison to the church and a bride and a bridegroom. And he says this in Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. A groom loves his bride. A groom will focus on his bride's positive traits and look past the negative traits. Paul is saying that Jesus loves the church. That Jesus gave himself for the church to present the church as perfect, as holy, as blameless, without stain or blemish. Anybody that has in, been in ministry for very long has accumulated some wedding stories. I've heard Gary tell some pretty funny stories about things that happened during weddings. I've been doing this long enough to have a few stories of my own. I've seen some things that have surprised me in weddings. I'll share one instance with you. I was marrying a, a, a really great young couple, beautiful girl, which it turned out to be a good thing in this instance. When it was time for her to come in, the music swells up, the doors open. She walks in and she is bawling. I don't mean whimpering. I don't mean trying to you know, hold it in. I mean, she is wailing. And I'm thinking, great. 
She starts walking down the aisle. Her mother's sitting on the front row. She starts bawling, starts wailing. Her dad's walking towards me, and he gives me a look like, sorry. <laughs> and I give him a look like, hey, buddy, get control of your women, right? I got a wedding to do here. But this girl, she walks down and she comes, you know, by her by her groom, and it was not a pretty sight. Like, don't get me wrong, she's a beautiful girl, but her eyes were swollen, her face was red and blotchy. She had mascara running down her face. I look over at the groom and he starts to cry. And to be honest, I'm kind of feeling his pain at this point. Somehow, it gets better, by the way. Somehow we get through the ceremony. And we get down to the point where I say, you may now kiss the bride. And instead of taking her veil and pulling it up over her head, he bends down and gets in there with her. Kisses her, bends back down, and gets back out. And I'm like, okay, I guess that works. Never seen that before. Although I've told that story a lot of times, and almost every time someone will say, hey, I saw that same thing happen. So now, on rehearsal night, I, I mention that. You know, pull the veil up. No, stick under there. The thing is, the truth is, that groom loved his bride. And he saw past the swollen eyes. And he saw past the blotchy face and the dark stains. He saw her as perfect. And when Jesus looks at his bride... When he looks at the church, he sees past all our faults and all our stains and all our blemishes. He sees us as perfect. And one day he's going to return for his bride. Why am I here? I'm here because I love the Lord and I want to love the things that the Lord loves. I'm here because Jesus founded the church on the truth that he's the Son of God. He paid for it with blood. But I am also here because I know I'm not going to stay here. I'm here because I know that this isn't all there is. That I'm not going to stay here all the time. You know, one of our favorite songs that we sing is, This world is not my home, I'm just passing through. When my daughter was two or three years old, she used to sing that, The angels peck at me from heaven's open door which sounds a little bit terrifying, actually, but she would sing it with a smile on her face. Well, we all understand that the angels beckon us from heaven's open door, right? We understand intellectually that this world isn't our home. But boy, sometimes we sure live like it is. I'm here because I was made for more. I'm here because God's given me a purpose, and that purpose is in eternity. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we'll not be found naked. Verse 4. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Notice what he says in verse 5. 
Now it is God who made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. God has made us for this very purpose. We have been made for eternity. We're not some cosmic accident. We're not some group of molecules kind of creaming through the galaxy. And when we die, we don't die like Rover. We're not dead all over. We live on. God made us eternal beings. In fact, turn and look at the person beside you right now. Go ahead. Look at who you're sitting beside. They're eternal. Do they look eternal? The person beside you, they look eternal. Not old, but they look eternal. The person you're sitting beside is more than you know, flesh and bone and tissue. They're created by God with a soul, a spirit. And so are you. And so am I. We were created by more, for more. God has made us for this very purpose. We have an eternal value. This world is not our home. I'm going to leave it someday. Oddly enough, I know when. It's on the internet. <laughs> I went on the internet. There's a couple of sites you can go to. One is deathclock.com. You answer a few questions and it will tell you the day that you're going to die. So, of course, I had to do it. Answered a few questions about you know height, weight, body mass index, um, where I live, smoker, non-smoker, uh, several things. And I was told that I am going to die on November 14th, 2046. I'll be 86 years old. Which might sound old to you, but it's getting younger all the time. I went back and I changed the answer to one of the questions. One of the questions was, do you have an optimistic or pessimistic outlook on life? I'd first put optimistic, and I just wondered what would it be if I put pessimistic. So I put pessimistic outlook on life, and it said I would die 20 years sooner when I'm 66. Well, that's only like 10 years away. So I've got to keep a really positive outlook on life for <laughs> the next 10 years, right? And of course, all of that means absolutely nothing. You know, it's, it's silly. In fact, there's a disclaimer. You're all checking your phone right now. I can see you. There's a, there's a disclaimer on the website that says, for entertainment purposes only, please do not use this information to make life decisions. <laughs> yeah, you think? But it is a little bit sobering to see a date next to your death. It's a little bit sobering to realize, I'm going to die one day. You know, again, none of us are getting out of here alive. Let me wrap up by sharing an illustration with you. It's an illustration that's been around a long time. I saw it first at least 15 years ago. Randy Alcorn's the first person I saw share this illustration with. Um, it's kind of ironic. I was working on this lesson a couple weeks ago, and I thought, I'm going to use that illustration. Well, even if you've seen it, I'm going to use it. And then this past week on like Wednesday, I saw several of you post it on uh, social media. I thought, okay, it kind of proves that there's nothing new under the sun. But I'm going to use it anyway because it had such an effect on me, and I remembered it for so long, and I remembered it for so uh, remember it so well. And I'm going to need a little bit of help uh, for this uh, illustration. And I was wondering, Josh Legrand, would you help me out? Yes, good. Come here. I didn't even talk to Josh before this, but I knew Josh, a stand-up kind of guy. He's, he'd help me out. Um, how old are you, Josh? Eighteen. Eighteen. Young kid, just a whippersnapper. Uh, well, let me get this. 
whole life ahead of you, right? I've, I've got a picture here to represent Josh's whole life. I, I don't know if you can see it or not. It's, it's a dot there. Just a dot. Represents his entire life. And you might say, well, that's, that's kind of depressing, right? <laughs> you know, my whole life, beginning, middle, boom, end, that's it. But that's not it. That's not the important stuff. The dot is not the important stuff. What we do right here, right now, who, you know, our time here on earth, that's, that's minuscule compared to the real stuff where our real focus should be. This is the important thing. The line. Here, take that for me, Josh. And walk about halfway back there. Slowly, slowly. <laughs> okay. Very good. Keep going. Keep going. Let me drop this. Keep going. This is Josh's eternity. See, the dot's just a dot, but Josh's eternity keeps going. Go all the way to the back door. Go ahead. Keep going. I really don't, I don't have enough line here to really represent. Go all the way. In fact, Josh, open those doors and go on out in the lobby. <laughs> don't worry about offending the people. They're supposed to be in here. So go on. Hey, Josh, go on out. Go out the doors. When you get to MLK, go west. When you get to 75, go north. I'm kidding. Uh, no, I'm not kidding, actually, but I'm not kidding about this. This is what's important. This is our focus. See, we get so dot-focused that we don't live for the line. So the challenge is, we've got to live for the line, not the dot. In fact, say that with me out loud. Live for the line, not the dot. One more time. Live for the line, not the dot. See, the dot is just right here, right now. But the line, eternity, that goes on forever. And there's so much practical application to this. Now I get up every morning now and I got to think, okay, I want to live for the line. I want to live focused on eternity, not on a dot. You know, as I'm raising children, I want, to, I want to focus on the line, not the dot. Uh, my child comes to me and says, hey, Dad, can I do this? Everybody else is doing it. Nobody else's parents are you know, telling him no. And, and all kind of bells are going off, and I see all kind of red flags. And if I'm focused on the dot, it's really easy to say, eh, what's the big deal? If it'll keep you quiet, if it'll keep you out of my hair, you know, if you'll think I'm cool, go ahead and do it. Let me warn you, parents. If you live your life always focused on the dot, your children will never see the line. They will never get a, a sense of eternity if we don't teach them that. See, the dot thinking, that's right here, right now. That's all the deadlines and the commitments and all the fires that we run around trying to put out and all the things that have to be done, all those urgent things, but it's not the important things. This is the important stuff. Because eternity lasts a long long time. You think about your business dealings. Well, I could do this, I could get ahead. It's not exactly you know, ethical, but nobody will know. We've got to focus on the line, not the dot. See, one of Satan's greatest strategies is to try to get us to think dot, 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 dot. Right here, right now, and there's nothing else. There is nothing beyond today. 
But God wants you to know there is an eternity beyond today. In fact, let me bring this back to Josh's line here, Josh's eternity. Josh is going to spend his eternity in one of two places. He's either going to spend his entire eternity in a wonderful place, a place at home with the Father, in the presence of Jesus, or he's going to spend eternity in hell. Literally. That's Josh's only two options with his eternity. And those are my only two options. And those are your only two options. So, as we begin a brand new year, 2016, what are you going to focus on? Are you going to focus on the dot? Or are you going to focus on the line? We were made as eternal beings. We have a soul that will live forever. Where will that soul live forever? With Jesus in heaven? Or apart from Jesus in hell? What better time than the first week of a year to make the commitment I'm going to focus on the line. I'm going to love the things that Jesus loves. I'm going to despise the things that Jesus despises. And every day, I'm going to live knowing that eternity is in my future. As a family this morning, if we can serve you, minister to you in any way on this first week of the year, as we think about being made for eternity, come to the front. We'll be happy to help you if we can, any way that we can. Let's stand and sing.